We were talking this morning at the table about Kent and the last time he was here, and he was pretty much in the toilet last time he was here, so it's going to be kind of neat to see what what he talks about this morning. But Kent was here a couple of years ago. We went to college together back in 1977, Bible college, and Kent now is a senior pastor. You live in Kimberly City, and you're basically in Table Rock Lake in Missouri, Branson, who's in heaven, trout fishing the whole nine yards. It's wonderful. Well, if you'll remember, if those of you that were here a couple of years ago, Kent was dealing with some health issues, uh, actually divorced of his wife for 30, was it 33 years? So, 30, something like that. So he was pretty much in the toilet, so I got him hanging out with my buddies, and we took him out shooting shotguns and having a good time. But there's a scripture that I hold on to because I'm struggling with some stuff in my life over the past couple of years. You know, God never gives us more than we can handle. And that's, that's something we need to hold on to as, as brothers because you now God has brought Kent out of that toilet. He's, uh, he's blessed with a beautiful wife, which I'm sure we'll hear about. But he's got a whole new family and a whole a whole new outlook on life, has became a senior pastor at a church, and in, in, like I said, in Missouri, and just God's really got his heart right now, and I'm excited about that. I've connected with him and stayed connected for 35-plus years, pretty close to 35 years. So I'll get down. I'll let Kurt come, Kent come on up if you would. We, we actually met each other on the intramural flag football team, and I've always been bigger than him. So Not tougher, though. Yeah, that's true. Thanks, Tim. Awesome. Hey, great, awesome, incredible breakfast this morning. Who fixed breakfast? Raise your hand. Thank you, guys. Tim has been a good brother. Every so often I get that caller ID, Tim Abbey, and I usually hit that button and just ignore it about 10 times till finally he is not going to leave me alone. I guess I'm going to have to take this call. Now, Tim's been a good friend, good brother, Loyal, you know, one of those guys that sticks with you. Love you, I do. Brother man, he's called everybody called brother man in college. So I don't know if that picked up here or not, but man, it's good to be back. Uh, I recognize a lot of your faces. Some of these guys uh, still owe me money over here at this table. Uh, I'll collect on it after a while. Thank you. Twenty bucks. See, you know what? It works. Just try this because as you get older, you can't remember if you do or don't. You don't remember the guy's name. So just walk up to a total stranger and say, you just got that money that you owe me. It, it works sometimes. I'm the, uh, I'm kind of the version, the Christian version of the Griswolds. I don't know. Do you guys know the National Lampoon? I think there's a new one coming out, but I live it. Um, you know, probably six months ago, I'll tell you, I got married. I'll tell you about that in a minute, but my new wife, my, she has a five-year-old granddaughter. For her sixth birthday, she wanted to go to Disney World. I mean, you know, it's just like the trip to Mecca. Every American kid has to go to Disney World. So we said, okay, we'll do it, and let's beat the heat and the rush. We'll go in May. So we booked our flights on Allegiant. Anyone flown on Allegiant? All right, I will never fly on Allegiant again, um, but here's the story. We're leaving Kimberling City to go to Springfield to fly down here. I'm pretty laid back. My wife's pretty laid back. We thought we allowed ourselves plenty of time. 
Long story short, we get there, check our bags in, and the guy says, I don't think you're going to make this flight. And I said, what do you mean? He said, it leaves in five minutes. This is Springfield. How long does it take to get through security? He said, I'm sorry, the flight is going to leave in five minutes. So we book through there. We go through security. We literally do not even put our shoes back on. We run to the gate. My, I said, go ahead, Pam. Go, go, go. And she's up there. I mean, the gates in the Springfield Airport, gate four is from here to that door, okay? So we see the agent. She's up there, and she turns around, and she looks at me and goes, like that. I said, we made it? She goes, no. We're one minute late. And I said, you got to be kidding me. All, I was not a pastor at that point. I was a, pa- a potential passenger on a plane. I lost any religion. And I got in that lady's face and said, you got to be kidding me. One minute. You knew we were, you could see us coming. You want to tell this little five-year-old she doesn't get to go? About this time, I mean, the lady's like, sir, do I need to call security? I said, no, but can you, are you kidding me? She goes, one minute late. I said, well, when is your next flight? Friday. This was Monday. So I cooled, took me a little while, cooled down. We found another flight. One minute late, the other flight, the new flight, $600. We had to drive to Kansas City. Now, how many of you have ever taken kids to Disney World? Okay. So we get here to Orlando after all that ordeal. Instead of getting at 7 o'clock at night, we get at 1 o'clock in the morning. We get to the next morning, we get to Magic Kingdom. We are there 30 minutes. And my five-year-old granddaughter says, can we go swimming at the motel? I said, babe, we just spent $30,000 to get you here. You will stay here and you will enjoy Magic Kingdom. You guys ever have kids that, it's like, why did we bring them? Just go to the swimming pool and have a good time. So anyway, we have a ball. My new wife and I, it's still difficult. There's transitions in talking about being married and stuff, but I do have a wedding ring on. And for those of you I've never met, let me back up a little bit. I was a pastor in Washington, D.C. at a pretty big church out there. I kind of worked my entire life to get to this point where I had a dream job, a big church, traveling all over the world with our missions teams, and we had some political people, and I would go into Washington, D.C., and we had Joe Gibbs came to our church and several Redskins players, and uh, outwardly, everything was going great, but inwardly, everything was really messed up. I had a very broken marriage. I had prostate cancer, went through a period of depression, and my marriage of 30 years was not a marriage. I mean, she told me, I've always just viewed you like a younger brother. So we were living in the same house, sharing the same address. There was absolutely nothing in terms of a relationship, a marital relationship going on between us. It, it, you know, I, I don't want to stretch it to say I felt like Job, but there was a part of me when it all came crashing down, I could understand a little bit of what he went through. 
Job, you, you guys know the story. He had all the wealth. He had the sheep. He had the cattle. He had the servants. He had the kids. And the only thing that he, that he had when it was all over, what was the only thing Job had besides his friends? What was the one thing he didn't lose? His wife. He still had his wife. And yet in, in Job chapter 19, he's going through this encounter with his friends who back and forth and they're telling Job, you did something wrong. You must have done something wrong. You had to have done something wrong. And he said, listen, I'm not. I mean, I made a covenant with my eyes. I don't even look at a girl in a, in a lustful way. His friends had, had to be going, man, you're, you're unique in that. But here's Job, Job 19. He says, um, I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. And there it is, Job 19, verse 17, the only person that he still had, that he had love for, my breath is offensive to my wife. Now you think of all the problems Job has, bad breath would be way down the list. But look at that. I mean, he lost everything. And then my wife says, and by the way, your breath stinks. Even little boys scorn me when I appear. They ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped with only the skin of my teeth. But then Job goes on in that same passage. Man, he has hope. He says, Oh, that my words were recorded on a scroll. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. That's a great one. Job 19. Job, through it all, still had this hope. And guys, through all the brokenness of my life, when I was here with you last time, two years ago, I was thinking broke. Broke financially and broken emotionally. I was living with my parents. Now, can you imagine, I'm 50-some years old at that time, probably 55 years old, living with my mom and dad. That's a great pickup line. So, hey, I live with my mom and dad. You want to go on a date? I was single at that, the, the last time I was here. And the reality was, I was learning to really enjoy being single. And that's important. I mean, the Apostle Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I find myself to be content. And I, I don't believe you're ready. And some of you guys may have gone through a divorce. You may be widowed. You may be single in some, some way right now. I don't believe you're ready for a relationship until you're happy out of a relationship. I was, a very ha- I was really very happy. I had learned to adjust to that. But I was living with my parents, driving a 1991 Chevy Impala. I was uh, working at that time as a substitute teacher. I think I might have shared this with you last time I was here. I'll tell you, if you have ever substitute taught kindergarten kids, I had 25 kindergartners three days in a row. The teacher left me 27 pages of notes. By the time it was over, I was on one of their mats, curled up in a fetal position, sucking my thumb. I thought we were just going to be skipping around playing. It's not that way at all. It was intense. It was like trying to fly a jet and read the manual at the same time. So I was substitute teaching. And uh, going to a church in Carthage, Missouri, near where I, I went back home to Missouri, Fairview Christian Church, I was standing in the foyer, and a friend of mine has a son who was injured in a car accident. And uh, he is pretty much uh, unable to communicate. But I was sitting there trying to talk to Josh. And I feel this little tap on my shoulder. 
And I turned around, and there was the most smoking hottest blonde I have seen. I was like, hi. Now, I'm thick-headed. I don't get things very easily. And she said, excuse me, I saw you. I, didn't, I, I know you from someplace. I can't think of where I know you from. And I grew up in that area. I said, well, was it this church? I was a pastor here, Christ Church of Ornoke. No. Church camp? No. Went down through a whole list of things. No, no, no. Finally, she goes, ah, I got to go pick my granddaughter up. I said, okay. Well, I asked the pastor that was, I was talking to his son. I said, who was that? That's Pam Catron. I said, oh. Wait, she, like, single? Divorce? What? He goes, oh, her, her husband died. Ah. So I finally tracked her down through Facebook. I, I didn't date anybody through my period of being single. I didn't date anybody. Pam came up, tapped me on the shoulder, and I called her up. Finally found her through Facebook, called her up. And I said, did, did you think, really think you knew me? She goes, no. <laughs> I said, no, wait a second. You lied to me right there in church in the foyer. Yeah. Why? She said, well, I don't see too many good-looking guys in Carthage, you know, come through church. <laughs> Boom, yeah. I said, so you made that up. Find an excuse to talk to me? She goes, yeah. I said, I love it. This is awesome. And she said, well, you come over to the house sometime. Okay. This is odd to me, guys. I didn't date. So I went over to the house, and she said later, she said, you look like a bear looking at a piece of meat at me. I said, a very hungry bear looking at a piece of meat. And I'll tell you, we clicked we have a ball together. A year and a half ago, we were married. And I'll tell you, life is good. It's good, guys. Now, I don't drive a 1991 Impala anymore. Things have changed. When I was here last time, oh, by the way, I was a hospice chaplain for a while. That sounds like a fun job, doesn't it? Hospice. You know, that's people who are dying. I was a hospice chaplain for a while. It wasn't a very good one. I don't make a good hospice chaplain. I have a ringtone on my phone. And I was getting ready. A patient had just expired. They, they call it when they're, you're dying in hospice. And then you have to almost be around this stuff to get some of it. But they call it actively dying. That means you're really dying. Okay. But anyway, this patient had passed away. And I gathered the family and my nurse and a social worker together for a prayer. And I mean, literally, the person's there, their mouth is open. It's kind of a morbid scene. And just as we joined hands to pray, my phone went off. I forgot to silence it. And my ringtone is born to be wild. And my social worker looked at me like, you are the worst hospice chaplain ever. One of those moments. But during that period of time, um, by the way, and some of you who might remember, I had a, my youngest son was going through a real time after the divorce. It was very difficult on him. Uh, I won't go into the details, but he, he really, really cratered. And it was a bad scene. So I met Pam. We were married December of 2013. Um, 
Now I serve as a minister of First Christian Church in Kimberling City, which is in the Branson area. Uh, God opened the door there. We have a house on Table Rock Lake, beautiful view. You guys are welcome to come. Love to have you come and be, be our guest. And my oldest son got married, and my youngest son uh, joined the Air Force and just finished his basic training. God is good, folks. Guys, he is so good. I look in Job chapter 42. I love this passage. Job chapter 42, verse 10. You remember how he went back and forth with his friends? 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends. I like that. You know, these are guys that, I mean, with friends like that, who needs enemies? These are guys that didn't stand with Job. They, they accused him. But Job prayed for him. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again, gave him twice as much as he had before. All this, all of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him uh, over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. The Lord, get this, Job forty-two twelve. hang on to this verse. It's kind of a theme verse for me. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. The second chapter, this sequel for my life has been a whole, whole lot better. I, I, I didn't realize how messed up my marriage, my first marriage was. I didn't realize what it was like to have somebody who truly just loves me. I, I mean, I'm healthier now. I'm, I'm, I'm closer to the Lord in so many ways. It's a good season for us. God has doubled my wife was married. Her first husband was a doctor. They lived in a house that had 13 bathrooms in it. And she said, I never want to live in a house with 13 bathrooms again. Who wants to clean that many bathrooms? And she came down to our house the other day. We've got a beautiful view of the lake. And she said, this is my most favorite house I've ever lived in. I mean, life is good for us. We have a ball. We went out yesterday, and she's finding these conch shells in the ocean. She's having me carry. She had 25 conch shells with the live critters in them. I said, babe, what are you going to do with these? She says, I'm going to save them. This is the most shells I've ever found. I said, these things are going to stink after a while. You think so? I said, yeah. But So she threw them back. But we're having a ball. We're having a lot of fun. God is good. Life is good. Why don't I share some things, just three or four lessons God has taught me. Here's the first one. I, I can't, probably shouldn't say the actual word in here, but stuff happens. Stuff happens. And it's really easy when stuff happens to think, well, it, it, this always happens to someone else. I remember when I, I found out I had cancer, I was like, I, I don't get cancer. Other people get cancer. I don't go through depression. Other people go through depression. I don't go through having rebellious kids, other kids. And certainly, I will never get divorced. I remember saying, I mean, I, I was judgmental. I used to judge people like me. It always happens to someone else. Stuff happens, and it happens to you. I always thought if you did things the right way, you know, if you, if you did things God's way, you're going to always be blessed. You know what I'm saying? Man, I'm so blessed. The reality is, Jesus said, you're blessed when you suffer. You're blessed when you're persecuted. You're blessed when you struggle. It's not when life's going all perfectly. So I've learned to count my blessings in the good times and the bad times. 
and rejoice in all those. It's not like when you, like Pam and I's life doesn't have any problems. We've got our share of problems. But we, we're recognizing the blessing and even the struggles and the trials. Jesus said it like this. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That's Jesus' way of saying stuff happens. It happens to you. It happens to me. Some of you, last time I was here, came up and shared with me some stuff that was happening to you. I still remember those conversations. Here's the second thing I learned through all this. Put on your big boy pants. I mean, it's so easy for us to play the victim, to feel sorry for ourselves, to blame. I could have spent the rest of my life blaming my ex-wife for my life or my, my situation. I decided instead it's time for me to move on. And I'm not going to point the finger. I'm not going to blame her. I'm not going to hate her. I'm not going to let myself become bitter toward her. I'm moving forward. So you can get stuck if you're not careful, but you've got to stop bl- blaming. You've got to stop whining about things. Some of you guys right now, and probably the number one problem men deal with, some of you guys are sexually frustrated. Now, we don't want to know the details, okay? But, I mean, you cannot imagine what I'm experiencing right now. I didn't know it really existed. I didn't know that there were women who really enjoyed that relationship. I won't get too graphic, but I'm like, I have died and gone to heaven. If my wife, she's planning to be here tomorrow at the 830 service, somebody said, did you bring your wife with you? I brought her to Florida. She's here She and my stepdaughter and granddaughter are here, but I would never bring her to this group, this motley crew of guys. I don't trust you with her because she's smoking hot. We're having a blast together, and I'm enjoying something I never imagined I would experience on this earth. I literally told her, sweetie, I thought I would have to wait to get to heaven to experience the kind of relationship I'm having with you. It's awesome. Now, here's my point. Some of you are not. Guess what? Take charge of your life. What do you mean by that? Here's what happens so many times with Christian guys. They're committed to their wife, and their wife holds them hostage. She knows. I mean, my wife was married to a doctor, And she knew there were plenty of women lined up, and she learned at an early age as a female that she was going to keep her man happy. I'm grateful for the lessons she learned because she's all about making me happy. And she she understands sexual frustration. Only problem we have, we're we're sharing a motel room right now with her, her daughter and granddaughter. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you guys, if I were where you're at, and you're sexually frustrated, do something about it. Because you're very vulnerable right now. And if you talk to your wife and she shuts you down because she knows you're not going anyplace, then say, sweetie, I'm taking charge of this situation. I'm going to counseling. I'm going to get help because this is not normal. It's not healthy. So guys, lead your family, lead your wife, and say, if you're sexually frustrated, that's not okay. We're going to work on this. If you're not willing to work on it, sweetie, you've got the problem, not me. I hope that makes sense to you. 
Here's another lesson I learned. Find a good church. You say, I already go to church here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about a band of brothers. I'm talking about a, a, a group of guys that you know you can be honest and be real with. That's the only way I survived what I went through. It's the only way. If I had, if I had not had the, the men in my life that I could turn to, I, I probably wouldn't be standing before you. I don't know where I would have wound up. But I remember being so depressed, I wished I could have ended it all. And my brothers, my brothers in Christ got me through it. Here's one of the last lessons I've learned, and I'm still learning, is just the best is yet to come. Just hang in there. Whatever you're dealing with right now, it's going to pass. <laughs> if it's good, it's going to pass. If it's bad, it's going to pass. Life changes. Hang in there, though. The best, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, the best really is yet to come. The best years of my life are still ahead of me. I believe that. I, I don't know what health problems I could face. I don't know what difficulties I could face in my relationship with Pam. All I know is this. When I keep my eyes on Jesus, it just keeps getting better and better. That's a promise. All things do work together for good. To them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I prayed last night and I thought, I want to leave with guys with something. I mean, I wish there was something I could give you to like take with you today to help get you through those tough times. And there's only one thing I could think about to really give you and leave you with. And that's just my, my offer of friendship. I don't, I don't know you well. Maybe that's to an advantage. But here's what I'm going to leave you with. I'll give you my cell number or my email address. If you're going through it, and we all do at some point, and you just want somebody to talk to, I'd be happy to be a friend to you. In fact, that would be a blessing and honor for me. I appreciate you guys letting me come back. Hang in there. You know, we got to take one more step. One of my hospice patients said, we live until we die, and then it gets a whole lot better. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men Lord, it's one foot in front of the other sometimes. Man, when we, we see the path you walked, you're at the end, the finish line saying, come on, just keep going. You can do it. We challenge each other. We encourage each other to keep running the race. We're going to finish, Lord. We're going to finish because we stick together. We're going to finish because you showed us we can. You give us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us where we're at. You continue to challenge and stretch us. I pray for every man here that they would feel your hand of blessing and know that they are deeply loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.